there is another way. There's a better way. There's a more, you know, forget work-life balance. Let's just talk about balance. Forget, you know, like being reckless or ruthless with the, 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 the kind of things you're trying to tackle. Let's, let's do something reasoned, right? Let's bring that back into play. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. I'm here today with Mike Vardy, who's a father. He's a husband, he's a writer, he's a productivity strategist, and he's the creator of the time crafting approach to time and tasks, which we're definitely going to dive into because there are a lot of things that you talk about in your approach that are very, very similar to mine. Your work has also been featured in Lifehacker, Fast Company, Huffington Post, and Forbes. uh, And you've also taught productivity practices on online education platforms such as Creative Live, Skillshare, and LinkedIn Learning. And... I cannot emphasize enough how excited I am about whatever's going to come from today's conversation with Mr. Mike Vardy, the productivityist. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Zach. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. Uh, as we talked about a little bit offline before we started, anybody that's looking to get the the latest hacks in Trello or Evernote or Notion or how do I uh, automate through doing seven different zaps, this is not going to be the conversation for you today. Not because you and I couldn't have that conversation, and I have a feeling that one might last us about seven hours. <laughs> However, I get the impression from your background and your journey similar to mine that you're kind of over a lot of that stuff, not because because it doesn't work, but because you're starting to realize there's a bigger picture around what it truly means to be productive and really value your time and to get the more out of your life. Would, would that be a fairly accurate assumption about where you are in your current personal journey? Absolutely. And it's interesting. I was talking to Alan Henry, who was the editor-in-chief at Lifehacker. And I think he was a, a staff writer when I was the managing editor of Lifehack. And Alan's got a new book out um, as, as we record this called uh, Seen, 
heard and paid, uh, the new rules for the marginalized worker. And we've, we've crossed paths, but never actually spoken before. And we finally, I had him on my podcast. It's on an upcoming episode. And we basically chatted about, we're both in the same place. We both worked for, for websites that largely propagated or were purveyors of what you would call probably productivity porn, right? Like this idea of like, you know, um, and I remember when I left Lifehack, the reason I left is that we reached the goal that we set out to reach. And then they wanted me to triple what I had done. And that involved publishing more hacks. I'm like, the, and, and that was kind of, I was already feeling the the pull of life. Ha- like when you think of the term hack, it means to like to cut and to often cut without care. I'm like, do we really want to be doing that with our lives in, in every aspect? And, and really what a life hack should be is it, it should speed up the things that, you know, should be sped up so that you can have time to do the, the more deliberate thinking and the deliberate work, the qualitative stuff. And so, yeah, like, you know, as much as I wrote for the next web and cult of Mac and know all the apps inside, you know, and now at least I used to, um, there's something bigger there. And it, and frankly, it's more of edge. There's more edge cases around that. Like the bulk of people out there aren't going into notion and building like these elaborate, you know, quantitative, um, measuring tools or, you know, they, they need something simple. They need something that will help them get through today, but also to help them look ahead and make sure that they can get through tomorrow and, and the next tomorrow and the next tomorrow. And I, that, I think that's where, I want to spend more time as opposed to, well, set up this zap or, or here's how you can create very elaborate, you know, kind of workings inside of whatever app you're choosing. Oh, sorry, that app is now out of business. Now you need to go to something else. Like it's just the the things I want to talk about are more timeless. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very much in the same place. And uh, when I saw that you had done things for like LinkedIn learning and creative live, um, I'm, uh, have been known for years on LinkedIn learning, formerly lynda.com is the Trello guy. So if you want to learn Trello, I'm the guy. And it's now like clockwork every 18 months, ping, email in my inbox. So Trello is completely changed and outdated and we need you to redo the entire program. Three, four years ago, I was excited about that. Now I'm just like, Oh, okay. I've, I've kind of moved on from like, you know, the Trello automations and building the lists and the boards. And to be very clear, still love Trello, still use it to manage my life and my tasks. But there are so many much more important things that I want to talk about when it comes to the value of time, because you, you talked about this concept of productivity porn. It's very similar to the way that I now talk about this as the cult of productivity. Yeah. Where essentially, because we're learning all of the tools and all of the apps and all of the zaps and all of the automations, what happens is that yesterday's miracle just becomes today's expectation. Mm-hmm. It, it, right? it's, inter- it, it's interesting because we talk about, I, I wrote an atomic essay. I was in this ship 30 for 30 program that that's very popular for writers, digital writing. And you had to write an atomic essay every day. And I did it mainly just to kind of get back into the, the rhythm of, of writing something that was more public because I write a lot of, you know, working on books and stuff like that. I'm doing more, more hidden stuff. And then I've got my podcast and all that stuff or stuff that's not quite ready for, for release yet. But with these atomic essays, I was kind of forced to do it. And one of the essays, it was about like the, the one thing you don't want to hear about productivity that you need to hear. And I said, productivity is fundamentally broken. Like it really is. And I think that, it's more apparent now be post well we're not even post pandemic because we're still in it but in like in this pandemic era if we're going to talk about it that way because people are really trying to ramp things back up to that pre-pandemic level and 
things have changed so radically in a lot of ways. There's not as many people doing the same jobs. Uh, people re recognize that, hey, you know what? The world didn't stop like completely. Like I didn't, you know, there, there were things that definitely did happen, but I think it was kind of a, people talk about the great reset and all that stuff. I think that it opened our eyes to like, what, to what end are we doing these things? Right. And to your idea of the cult of productivity, like what, to what end? Um, and, and I think that, that people need to know that it's, there is another way. There's a better way. There's a more, you know, forget work-life balance. Let's just talk about balance. Forget, you know, like being reckless or ruthless with the, 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 the kind of things you're trying to tackle. Let's, let's do something reasoned, right? Let's bring that back into play. And you can't do that with apps because apps ultimately, while they are great tools, what's this, was it Thoreau that said men have become the tools of their tools? That's kind of what happens with them. And at the end of the day, like, I mean, Trello is owned by, what are they owned by now? Um, Atlassian, uh, Atlassian, right? yeah. We, we know at some point in time, something's going to change, right? Because it, look what happened with Wonderlist a few years ago. Microsoft acquired it. What's happened to Wonderlist? It's not what it was. And all the, all the people that were like, but you took my app away. I'm like, but that's, that's not the problem. The problem is you should have something that you could either, if you had a napkin, you should be able to, to do it. Um, and, and I think that, that we end up talking about the wrong thing. And that's why, like, even productivity can be the, maybe we should be talking about prioritization instead of productivity, because uh, some people think that, you know, productivity is more important than prioritization. Like, but that's the exact opposite thing. <laughs> if you're producing things that don't matter, are you being productive, right? So th these conversations are the ones that need to happen as opposed to, again, like you updating that Trello course or me when we released Do Better with the Sun, me and Jeremy Roberts a few years ago, literally weeks after we put the book out, they changed their entire user interface. And I was like, I, I don't want to chase the dragon anymore. Like, it's just too... I mean, there's people that do it. And I like Francesco on Keep Productive, you know, God bless him. Like, and he's made it work. But he's also doing other things like building apps like Bento and things like that. So there is a place for it, but I think that it's been given too much, um, too much space. Yeah. Uh, other than the glasses and the full head of hair, feel like I'm talking into a mirror right now. This is kind of creepy. I'm sure that uh, my producer, Debbie, who's on the mic, is thinking the same thing. As soon as you mentioned work-life balance, no, let's stop talking about that. Everybody thinks of me as, oh, you're the work-life balance guy. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I don't want to be the work-life balance guy because it's a myth. It does not exist. And you're working towards the wrong thing. So the concept that I talk about, and you might have a different variation of it, but I talk about this idea of work-life presence. I'm never going to have a balanced amount of I'm working an equal amount to life and I have an equal amount of energy for my family versus for my job. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of choosing, like you said, prioritizing where I want to put my energy and I'm being present with my kids. I might not have a balanced amount of number of hours versus mm -hmm. my work, but when I'm with my kids, I'm with my kids. When I'm on a podcast interview, I am on a podcast interview. When I'm with a client, I'm with a client. When I'm not with a client, I'm doing something else. And I, So for me, it's all about developing the skill of presence and that requires prioritization because you need to be confident this is where my attention is required. Right. And you brought up attention, which is really important because I don't, people think productivity is about efficiency and effectiveness and all that. I'm like, that, no, those are byproducts. That's not what it is. Productivity in its, the, the way I define it is productivity is the active linking of your intention 
with your attention. So what do I intend to do? How am I going to pay attention to it? And the problem is we often, we often have one without the other, right? So we have all this attention, but it's going to nowhere where we intended, which is like, I'm going to go on my phone and, oh, look, this thing. And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, what happened? I didn't do the thing I was, and you don't have a way for your brain to go, whoa, 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 hold on. Right now, I should be, I, I know I should be doing this. How do I make sure that my attention goes there as opposed to the, the thing that's vying for my attention, be it social media, be it email, be it whatever. Conversely, you could have, you could have all the intention in the world. Like, so that's the, that's the problem is if you have this intention, I'm going to work on a book. I'm going to do something creative, whatever it is, but you don't have that, that waypoint to say, here's how you're going to pay attention to it. So you make measured progress on it. Then that intention is powerless. So, and conversely, if you have all this attention, but you're not giving it any intention, it's directionless. And so at the end of the day, then you start to, if you start to link those things together, then you get more efficient, then you get more effective. It's the same thing you mentioned, like work-life presence. I love that idea. Uh, just presence. Like we don't need adjectives in front of it anymore. I mean, we're at a point, I think one of the things that I, I came to realize is I stopped fighting the battle that the industrial complex kind of put in place. So prioritization is a good example. You've read Essentialism by Greg McEwen, right? You know, oh, sure. Yeah. I've yeah, had you know him how on the he, show he, twice. Yep. Right, right. So Greg talks about priorities and how there's no such thing mm -hmm. because the word priorities didn't exist until the industrial revolution where they, it was designed to get people to do more stuff, right? Because priority literally means the next thing. You can't go into any large organization now and, you know, go in, wave in your, <laughs> on your soapbox and say, no, 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 you can't have more than one priority because they're going to look at you like you're a crazy person. Like we know that anyone who studies this stuff knows that, but the average person that we're trying to help, whether they're at the top of the chain or in the middle or whatever, they're like, no, no, no. I, I've heard of prior. Why would we have to have prioritization if there's only one priority? We would need it is true. Same thing with work-life balance. Work-life, we're at a point now where work and life are so seamlessly integrated in a lot of ways. There's, it's, it's almost like harmony would be a better term, right? Because you have too much of it. It sounds crappy. You have just the right amount. It's perfect. So rather than put the adjective work-life, the only reason you would do that is if you felt you were trying to focus on work and life. That was the thing you were trying to balance. But if you're trying to lead a balanced life, that's going to involve things like, you know, life then all of a sudden expands. It's not just life, it's friendships, it's relations, it's all that stuff. Work, same thing. I mean, creatives especially. I'm a writer first and foremost. I know you're in the creative industry too, right? Like, so you can't, you, you can't turn that off. Like, <laughs> I I can literally like I was reading that that diary I was showing you earlier the assassin's cloak and the first line is about how the diary is like a drink and it basically described how it's like addictive and you often say things in there that you shouldn't say or you don't have any authority to speak about now this book called the assassin's cloak which was put together in in 2000 was during the very genesis of social media so when he says this about the diary this quote I don't think that's about a diary. That's about social media. No one's really sitting now going, I'm addicted to journaling, but they might be addicted to social media, which when you think about it, social media is a form of journaling. It's, you're just doing it for the whole world. So you can't, 
when you start putting adjectives in front of things, it's designed to draw attention, which I think is great. But when it's done too much, it loses its power. It loses its weight. And then you might end up, oddly enough, imbalanced as a result. Like you said, if you work and life don't, I mean, they're, they're never going to be 100% equal, like 50-50. It's not going to work that way. So I think, and I know I'm going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I imagine you'd be doing the same if you're looking in the mirror, <laughs> is, is this idea that productivity being fundamentally broken is because we focused on the way that productivity has evolved over there. Being productive, the term literally means in its genesis is to bring into being. That's what produce, to produce. That's what it was. Then productive is the having the quality of being able to produce. But now if you look up the word productive and therefore productivity, uh, it means the power or quality to produce, comma, especially in abundance. So now all of a sudden, isn't, it isn't just about making something or bringing something into being. It's about bringing lots of things into being. It's about, so now, now people are confused. And naturally, we have to make a lot of things. The only way you're productive is if you do a lot of stuff. But that's not true. That's not true. Quentin Tarantino has made nine films so far, right? He's got a 10. He, there are people who have made way more films than he has. I can't, I don't necessarily like all of his films, but they all are impressive pieces of work. And when he's done those 10, he knows I've made 10 things that I can really say that were, I was productive, right? As opposed to the person who makes 40 films and there are, eh, there's, there's a couple of hits in there, but you know what I mean? So I think, I think that if we can get, and when I say we, I'm talking in, in general, can get people thinking differently about productivity, reframing it a bit. I think we're going to be in a much better place. Tools can help, but we need to reframe it first. Yeah, and the, one of the most important words that I've thrown as a caveat or a qualifier to just about any sentence when it comes to productivity, time management, whatever it might be, especially with my clients, is the word sustainable. Thank you. If I want to build a, a productive life or I want to build a career or whatever, like I want, like for me, I've got three major, huge kind of, you know, buckets in my life. One of which is creative professional. One of which is entrepreneur. One of which is American Ninja Warrior. Oh, by the way, totally forgot. I also have to be a dad. I've got to be a husband. Like it never ends. Right. Mm -hmm. But this idea that if the only way for it to be considered successful in my mind is to do all of it sustainably. If I can't do that, I feel like I failed. So, so what's interesting is what's the word that people focus on instead of sustainable? What do they, when they think about like, I've got to do something and be productive, it's sustainable is the word they should be using, but they use consistency instead. Problem is if you do things, you can't like, if you're doing something, so the podcast, we talked about this before, like I've done over 400 episodes of this, of a productive conversation, which used to be called the productivity podcast. That's consistency. I've been doing it consistently, but there's things I have not done, part that like marketing it, all that stuff. And the reason I haven't done that is because I couldn't sustain it. So I have to be okay with, okay, there's certain things I'm not going to be able to do because it's not sustainable. And I think what happens is we put the cart before the horse. We're like, I need to be consistent. That's all that matters, being consistent, being consistent. But if you can't sustain it, then you won't be consistent. So if you say, what can I sustain? Then you can be consistent with that thing. That's why when I, when I made time crafting, when I kind of forged this, 
this philosophy slash approach, it was, I, I wanted it to be simple, flexible, durable, and sustainable. Like it had to have all those qualities. And if it didn't, if it didn't, then it's so easy for things to fall by the wayside. Like getting things done is a phenomenal productivity framework, but so many people fall down when it comes to the weekly review or they never get past the 20 to 30 to 40,000 feet, you know, the, the horizons of focus. That, is that sustain? Like, does that mean that it's sustainable? And when we talk about the cult of productivity, there's a cult of GTD. There's a cult of getting things done. And if you don't do all of it, it's, it's, it becomes an absolutism, right? Like if you're not doing it all, then you're not GTDing. And then all of a sudden you start to have productivity, shame and regret, like all these other things that show up, you need to be able to look at things simply and sustainably. And that's why it's, and it's hard, I think for creatives, especially because they want to create <laughs> and they want to create so much. And they also want to do it um, when they've made something. I don't know if you're like this, but I know I am. And I've, I've worked hard to get past it. Once I've made something, it's like my brain goes, okay, I've made that. Now I need to make something else instead of promoting the thing I made or because my brain goes, well, it's out there. So everyone's seen it, which is total nonsense, but that's what the brain does. So instead of making it better, reshaping it, repurposing it, I just try to make something new. And I did that for a long time. And guess what? That wasn't sustainable. <laughs> it wasn't. So if you can get, I think another big message is, um, you can't do consistency first. You need to do sustainable first and then get consistent after that fact, right? So we've transitioned from me looking into a mirror to me staring into the depths of my soul. <laughs> as soon as you said this idea of as soon as I'm done with something, it's now out of my head. Therefore, everybody knows that it exists and everybody understands it. Time to make something else. You just described the last eight-year journey of me building an online business. Hey, I've got this online course. I'm working really hard on it. I've got all these ideas. If the ideas don't get out of my brain, I'm going to go crazy. So I'm going to put all this into frameworks and lessons and modules, and I'm going to build a funnel, and I'm going to get people into the funnel, and I'm going to launch it. I've got people in the course. Awesome. Time for the next course. Not so much, but that's a pattern that I'm continually stuck in because it's hard for me to stop and not take the ideas out of my head because the noise is just never ending. It's like you said, it's very hard to separate work from life because they're the same thing now because of the technology, because of working from home and Zoom and our phones and everything else, there is no separation of work and life. Right. So for me, it doesn't matter where I am or what I'm doing. If I have the idea, must execute on idea. Oh, I can't execute it on it today. Well, then it needs to go in Evernote, but no, it needs to go into a mind map because that's part of my system. Oh, does this need to be a card in Trello? I'm not sure, but the idea just cannot separate from, nope, hold this idea until tomorrow at 9.30 a.m. Mm -hmm. Right. And so uh, you do capture though, right? Like I, I oh God, yes. relentlessly, like I've got a new, I mean, last night I was sitting at a pub with a, with a buddy. I went and saw some art and I have like, I keep like little mini field notes style notebooks in my pocket. Mm -hmm. And I wrote down, I wrote down my journal entry cause I didn't want to have my phone out. And then I wrote down what I called my six standards. So it's like, these are rules that I think I'm going to try to follow. And I, I wrote them down and I wrote like rules for a night owl. And I just started noodling that stuff. I think that the mantra of capture everything, regret nothing really applies. I think mm -hmm. if you get it, because then, and, and this is one of the things that, again, David Allen teaches in getting things done, like mind like water, right? If you can get it out of your head, then, and put it someplace that you trust, that's the key, then you can get back to whatever it was you were doing. So mm -hmm. 
I mean, I wrote down rules for a night owl and then I'm like, okay, it's done. I can leave it there. And I mean, obviously I have to have a mechanism to go back to look in this notebook, which I do. I put it in. It's the mundane stuff that matters in those instances. Like in my to-do list app, it says review things in inbox. Okay. Shouldn't I know to do that? Probably, but I don't trust myself to do that. So let's, and it's, it's the same thing with Halloween decorations. We're recording this just before Halloween and uh, I have every October 1st, it's like decide when to put put Halloween decorations up in Todoist. And every October 1st, it shows up. This is where tools can be super handy because I don't have to think about it anymore. It's been captured once and comes back to me every time I need it to. And it's this mundane, silly stuff that my brain would easily go, it's time for me to work on this thing that I'm really excited about. That's going to be hard. You know what I should do instead? I should go get the Halloween decorations and bring them out from under the house. So, so when it comes to the, 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 you know, and, and you talked about how it's been your journey over the last eight years, it's the same for me. Like my, you know, I've got to build this new thing. It's, it's out there. So it's new. So I have to, I have to get it out there or worse. I capture an idea and I announce it. So I'm like, I'm going to build this thing. And then either I don't, or I don't, or I give myself unrealistic timelines to do it. And we're all, we're all, uh, we all tend to take on more than we should. And I think that's ultimately, again, back to this idea of productivity being about doing lots as opposed to doing right. And that's where, you know, it, it's, it's an ongoing struggle. Again, when it comes to this idea of work-life balance or just balance in general, and having like, you know, the the reason I think the problem happens for a lot of people when their work is their calling or it's purposeful or meaningful, right? I have a friend of mine who still works for Costco, which is where that's what brought me out west here uh, to Victoria, BC. And he is still a forklift driver for Costco. And I say still, it sounds like I'm being you know kind of downplaying it, but he knew. Working for Costco was just a means to an end. It was to earn money. He basically plays online poker, I think. He's still, but he's done by like 3, 8, 3 p.m. every day, maybe even sooner now. And he gets to spend time with his family. And that's what he wants to do. And, that, and he doesn't need, Mike, tell me about like how this thing works or what my framework needs to be. Not everybody needs it. But I think if your work, if, you're, if there's like this purposeful element that takes you beyond, especially entrepreneurial, we're creative. You, you can't turn that off. And that's why like keeping a notebook with you or having like an, uh, this is where an app like drafts for iOS can be super helpful or Evernote or something like that. Or, and maybe reading Tiago's building a second brain book or, or any of that stuff can be super helpful because it gets it out of your head. And I've, I've said this before, your mind was meant to be a factory, not a warehouse. So if you can, if you can get things out of here, then the, the mind can be the factory it's meant to be. Yeah. Uh, and when it comes to all those ideas, I go back to something you said very, very early in the conversation about how if you rely on the apps or you rely on the tools, they're inevitably going to let you down. Mm -hmm. If you have a system, it doesn't matter what the tools are. And you said, you know, you can do it on a napkin. Mine's a lot more vivid. I tell my students that if you don't want to use Trello, fine, use Asana, use Notion. I don't care about any of that, but you need to have a system such that if all you have is post-it notes in your own blood, you can still be able to work through the process and be very clear on this is the one thing that I should be doing that's actually intentional and meaningful, and it's a good, productive 
effective use of my time based on my values and the things that I really want to accomplish in life. Um, But I think that the here's here's the challenge that I have, which you brought up, is that when you mention somebody that is doing a forklift job to make a living so they have time for other things in their life, Mm -hmm. my my only response to this, man, that sounds wonderful. I'm not wired that way. No, no, no. I get right? it. I get it. I, and I wish that I understood it, but you're right. When, when your work is your calling and your work is what fulfills you. And for, I would say for most, I don't want to make a blanket generalization, but I bet the vast majority of highly creative people, their work needs to be some form of their calling because their identity is wrapped up in my ability to create and generate new ideas. It can either be your superpower or it can be your kryptonite. And for me, it vacillates between both where every once in a while, it's clearly a superpower. This is my calling. I'm having an impact on the world. I'm helping people. And then I'll have one day off. I'm like, but I'm not having an impact on people and I'm not creating something and I'm worthless. Right. It's, it's, it can be, it can be a double-edged sword very much so. Well, and, and that's why people, like I was blogging every day for a while and the, when I stopped, my brain went it went to that place, which is like, you didn't make anything today. And that's what you do. So you didn't do anything like it literally. And it's, it's that, it's that weird battle between like the higher reasoning part of your brain. And then the, the primitive part, the part that, which, and that's an ongoing battle. Like most people, that's why habits work, right? Because habits help short circuit that, that, you know, that battle that's going on. But all I had to do was say, but I'm a writer. So I should be. So I went, I'm a writer. I should be blogging every day. I'm blogging like I'm writing. So therefore, and, and I eventually decided that first off again, not sustainable. I said, well, wait a minute. I'm a writer. It doesn't mean I have to publish daily. It just means I have to write daily. And the only time you can have those conversations with yourself is when you're not doing anything else but having those conversations with yourself. So you need to take a beat. Um, you, whether it's meditation, which I think is going for a walk. Actually, one of the rules, one of the rules I wrote down, um, rule number three, when in doubt, go for a walk or a run or something in between, which basically means just get out of the space, right? And I think that, again, we're so predisposed and there's a propensity to like, if we're not actively doing something like in, then we're not doing anything. And there's that old adage about, I remember this, I read this story once about a writer and his wife and the wife would go to work and she'd come home every day. And the writer was like always staring out the window. And after about a week of her just coming home and seeing this, she said, Hey, when are you actually going to do some writing? And he goes, I am. And, and, and it's hard to describe that, but what's to your point, what's worse in some instances, speaking of the kryptonite, is sometimes you're writing when you don't want to be writing. You don't necessarily want to be. Like, and that's why, again, I love the notebook factor of capturing, because I'll just write down, like, I will write down in here the action. Like I call it my am list, right? So A for action. Always start with a verb. Just give your brain a break for crying out loud. You don't want to be looking at something that says milk and like, am I supposed to buy milk? Milk cow, what am I supposed to do? It's a bad <laughs> example, but you know what I mean. No, that's the perfect <laughs> example. I love it and I'm stealing it. Bill, bill is better. I actually say like bill and it's like, am I supposed to pay a bill? Call bill? Like what am I supposed to do? Um, verbs, they just active, like, so they activate it. And then I have another column that's the M column, which is mode. Like what mode do I need to be in? So for example, um, Energy. I use energy a lot. I think, I think, and, and I would love to chat a bit about what I actually think about time management in a little bit, but energy, 
uh, is something that you can... We don't leverage enough. We don't go, oh, well, I'm tired. So I guess I'm just not going to do anything. It's better to say, I'm tired. What can I do when I'm tired? Right? Or I'm like, I'm a night owl. I'm really, really wired right now. What can I do when I'm in, in a, in able to do a lot of stuff? So I will literally write in that column like either an, a, an energy level that I need to be or the time. Like, is, it fi- is this a five-minute task or is this like a 25-minute task or this is a writing task? So I'll put like the mode and I've like, and in time crafting, there's like categories and all that stuff, which people can get that. Uh, when we wrap up, I'll give them like a, a link to get the starter kit for free. But um, that way, when I look at this, I can go, oh, okay. So these are all the things I captured. And then I can, you know, work my way through them however I see fit, either do them or move them into the master planner or whatever. But if I'm at the park with my kids or at the beach with my kids and that comes to mind, I can literally just write it down, not pull my phone out, and then get back to what we were doing, back to the task at hand. But the only way I can do that is through that pause, is through that brief moment of like, okay, you know what? This is not the time for this. Let me get it out so that I can see it when it is the time for this. And we don't live in a world that provides breaks. Uh, the, The world is moving at such a breakneck pace that it breaks necks. Like, that's literally how I feel about it. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from Ergo Driven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the Topo Mat. The Topo Mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O.
Yeah, and it's funny that you talk about this idea of taking the the walk because for years I was up against uh, a ton of resistance, uh, and I, I don't uh, work so much in the, the Hollywood studio system anymore because, like you, I'm largely uh, independent and now uh, an entrepreneur full time and doing the podcast and the coaching and the courses. Um, but for a long time, I uh, worked in the Hollywood studio system, and people would come into my office and I wasn't there, and they're like. Uh, you're being paid to be at your desk and do the work. I'm like, well, I was taking a walk. Well, we, we, you don't, we don't only have a certain amount of time for breaks. I'm like, I wasn't taking a break. Mm -hmm. I was working through a really difficult problem, right? And I get all of my best ideas and solve all of my problems when my body is in motion, which is this thing called science. There's mm -hmm. actually proof that this works. Yep. So I remember once I had a really difficult creative challenge with this really complex scene. Uh, it was when I was working on the TV show Empire at the time, which at the time was the number one show uh, in the United States. All kinds of pressure, crazy deadlines, and I just had the sequence I couldn't work through. So I walked out of my office and I ran the steps in the building three times until I was completely and totally out of breath, which, you know, when you work close, not the best idea because I was, you know, kind of sweaty and a little stinky. But as soon as I was done, I'm like, I got it. Yep. Eureka. Right. Walked into my office and in five minutes, doo -doo 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 -doo, done. Problem fixed. If I had stared at my computer for the same 30 minutes, I would have come up with nothing. That to me is a productivity tool or productivity system. Nobody thinks about that. Nope. No, because it's 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 too good to be true, right? It's the same thing when I say to people like time theming your days. Like I theme my days. So today today is actually a day I don't theme. So it's Friday. Friday is what I call my cheat day. So mm. I don't have a theme, which gives me some flexibility. Again, we talked about that to do a bunch of other things. So, but it creates, again, it's interesting because it's a cheat day. I also know that it's the day where I'll have calls with friends. And uh, if, if I have to have an appointment or I want to have a conversation, I can do it on that day because it's, so I, I, there is oddly enough, cheat day is defined in some ways as a theme day. So for example, tomorrow is my family day. Saturday is family day. Now, again, this is why it's too good to be true. I will have people say to me, wasn't well, every day a family day for you? I'm like, Yes, I guess, but I want the overarching focus to be my family on that day. And that's what theming is. And people, when, when I mention it to them, they'll say things like, oh, there's no way I could theme my day. Like, there's no way. And that's where story helps. And I know that you know a lot about story. And story is like, if you can, I remember watching the movie Comedian with Jerry Seinfeld. And one of the things he said as, as defining comedy was, Stand-up and comedy in general is making the ordinary extraordinary or the extraordinary ordinary. And I thought about this in terms of, and, and I gave you a bit of an example with the, the to-do list situation. Like, I try to bring real-world practical things that people can relate to to help them understand that this could work. So, for example, if someone says, oh, there's no way I could see my day. I'll go, hey, do you watch college football? I'm like, oh, I love it. Love it. Um, do you watch, like the whole slate of games and so on. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I follow Alabama, but I'll watch like all the games. I'm like, okay. Do you like the NFL too? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I love NFL. Okay. So that's, that's Sunday. Right. Um, but college is Saturday, right? Yeah. So like all the college games are generally on Saturday. Yeah. That's when I give my, uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden they have this light bulb. I'm like, so Saturday is college football day. That's a theme. So all I'm doing is you're, you already do it. Just, Name it, define it, give it clarity. Because again, clarity, I think Thomas Merton said this, clarity affords focus, right? So because Saturday is my family day, 
I know, and conversely, my family knows that, hey, dad, you want to go see Black Adam on Saturday? So it, it's, it, there's a preconceived kind of thought process to, I know dad wants to see Black Adam. I want to see it. I, I want the answer to be yes. So I know if I say, can we go see it Saturday? Dad's brain goes, well, Saturday's family day. Of course, yes, it's Saturday. We should totally do that. That's, and I theme every day of the week, except for Friday, which no one should start doing, by the way. That's the other thing is, other problem with productivity is when they take on a new system, they go, okay, I can do all these things and do all this and do all that. And then one thing breaks and everything falls apart, right? Yeah, it just doesn't work for me. The that's, system that's doesn't it. work for that's me. That's it, exactly. And so, so I will do things like, um, and again, when I talk about modes, I, I actually, uh, you know, right. The only other thing I have scheduled to do today, Zach, is to watch the World Series game one. Like I'm going to watch the Houston Astros, who are the villains, but I, I'm a pro wrestling fan. So I kind of like the heels every once in a while <laughs> against the Phillies. But I use that as an example when I talk about modes. Like think about baseball pitchers. You've got like five, five starters and they can give you, a, if they're designed to give you at least six innings of work. That's what they should do. So I have what I call starter modes. So, for example, a theme would be a starter mode. Like, what's today's theme? Today's theme is training. Okay, what are all the training tasks I can do? Or it's, a, it's maintenance. Okay, what are all the maintenance? So I should be able to get through the bulk of my day, whether it's work or life, all the day, working through that theme. That would be a starter. Theme. And there's a couple others you could use as well. But then there's the relievers, the bullpen, right? And each bullpen pitcher is designed to, some are long relievers, some are short relievers. The closer is the one that should be only have to really pitch one inning. And I call those, so there's the reliever modes. And those are the ones that I usually reserve for like time and energy. So if you're in a crunch and you're stuck, well, natural questions that you would ask yourself are one of two things. How much time do I have and how do I feel? So if you say, how much time do I have? Well, I only have 30 minutes. Okay, how many five-minute tasks can I bang out? Bang, 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 bang. You get six. There's math there. <laughs> and then if it's energy, if you're like, oh, I'm kind of tired. Okay, well, what can I do when I'm tired? Oh, here are all the tasks that I've identified as tasks I can do when I'm tired. And that gets you out of the jam. It gets things going. And when I can relate that to people, most people will actually, interestingly, use time and energy because it's the most human. They can relate to it. And I think that if we can start relaying the most human experiences, the things that make us the most human and not so automated, that's where people will feel truly productive because they're going to do the, the right things at the right time based on factors that they didn't even realize that they had the agency to choose around, right? And going for a walk is a classic example of that. And so when I tell people, hey, just look at your list and whatever, you know, you want to answer the question, um, what do I do when I'm sick today? I can't come into work. Okay, we'll just do your low energy tasks instead of not doing anything because you don't have, seems too good to be true. Well, try it. It's, it's, don't try it all at once because like you said, uh, it won't work. But theme one day, choose, you know, categorize your tasks by one type of mode and see where it takes you. And I guarantee you, it will take you further than, than you're getting right now when the, when the chips are down, when things are tough, when you need to go for that walk. 
Yeah, there's two things in here that I want to dig dig into even deeper because I love these ideas so much. And I'm doing, I've been doing theming for years without knowing it actually had a name. Yep. So I'm glad that there's now a, a label that's approved by a productivity expert. Um, but I, that's one of the things that I found that was so valuable and useful, frankly, just for uh, reducing conflict in my marriage. Because mm -hmm. as a creative, if I'm in the middle of something and I work from home and have for years, hey, can you do this thing real quick? And I'm like, I'm just not in the mindset. Yep. And it continually frustrated me. So I finally had the conversation with my wife. I said, listen, it's not that I don't want to do things for you. It's that the timing of you bringing it to me when I'm in the middle of work is bad. Yep. So just ask yourself the question, is this something that needs to be done immediately? If it is, I will do it. If it's not, know that whatever's on your list, I'm going to do it on Saturday morning. Yep. Saturday mornings where the light bulbs get fixed and the garbage cans are taken care of and this and that. So she now knows that what she wants done is a priority. We've just found a way to theme it in such a way that unless it's like, hey, people are coming over in two hours and this needs to be fixed. Well, I got to drop my shit and I got to make it happen. Yeah. And, but it's and, always. And, and you'll do that sometimes because you're in a tough spot. Like if mm -hmm. you're working through a tough problem, it's way easier. Like if this light bulb above me burns out right now, it's way easier for me to change that light bulb than to go write something for my book, right? It's way easier. It's it, what, There's that old adage, uh, how do you get a, a, a writer to uh, clean his desk? Give him a book deadline, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, or get him to write a book or whatever it is. I mean, I, and that's the thing. So it works both ways. Like not only are you helping your your wife out, your partner, whatever, you're, you're, you're creating this, this, mutual understanding of what this looks like, but also you're helping yourself out because your brain knows it's not, this isn't the day I change the light bulbs. This isn't the day I do this. And that's that battle between the, the, the part of your brain that goes, Hey man, I just want to get by. Like, can't we just do what we need to do to survive? And the part that wants to thrive, which is like, no, this, the part that wants the purposeful work, the purposeful, the meaningful relationships. Because frankly, the, the amygdala, the, you know, the older part of your brain just wants to, you know, it's all about like procreating and, and surviving. And it doesn't care. Like, you know, it doesn't care that you've got this magnum opus that you're working on or that you want to please your partner or whatever. It just goes, I just want to survive. And, you know, this thing scares me. So go do this instead. Right. And, mm -hmm. and I, I think, I think you're right. When it comes to theming, most people are already doing it. Like, that's the thing is, is when you mention it, it's like, oh, Oh, I, and so there's a permission, there's, there's a validation and a permission there that, that makes you, you know, I mean, again, I, the, the ch church is another example I use with people all the time. When you go to church, like, son, like theming days has been around forever. Like there's this book called the seven day circle, which is about the history of the week. And the author talks about how the week is the only man-made structure of time. It's the only one. Every other one is nature seasons, months, years, man made it. And it's been, it's been modified so many times over the years. Weeks used to be 28 weeks long, 20, 28 days long, 10 days long, like all over the place. And a lot of it was revolved around again, religion, but frankly, theming has always taken place. I mean, hell the name, the names of the, the, the days are themed, you know, Sunday is technically the first day of the week sun, the sun comes up like that's what it, so once you get your head wrapped around it and break through some of the biases, cause I think that's the, the biggest problem. Then all of a sudden you're able to go, oh, okay. And if, if you do it with one thing, 
makes it a lot easier to get that snowball rolling. So, and the other, all the other dominoes start to fall too. Man, I'm mixing metaphors like crazy here. (laughs) Once again, staring into the depths of my soul. Um, Sometimes I'll walk away from a single coaching call with like seven different metaphors and analogies. And people are like, I'm lost in all of your analogies. I'm like, oh, you're right. There's five too many. Let me boil it down for you. So I totally get it. Um, And I think that the, the important thing to kind of bring a lot of this uh, conversation together, what I've learned over the years is that when it comes to this idea of being quote unquote productive, everybody starts with time management, must manage my time. Then you realize fairly quickly, time management is really a lot more about energy management than it is about time, which is what these modes are that you're talking about. So for example, when I theme my days, Sunday is my biggest day of the week as far as American Ninja Warrior training. I do like a four or five hour session, pulling and pushing and max effort, like can barely move my arms and my upper body by 2 p.m., mm-hmm. which tells me my energy level is gonna be uh, lower for high energy creative tasks on Monday. So Monday is my strategy day. The yep. only two things I'll do on Monday are either meetings with my team to talk strategy, or I basically stare at the wall and stare at mind maps and think, big picture, where do I wanna go? Because when you're more tired, you actually have more access to your default network and random ideas, because I just the thought of having to write 10 words on a Monday, impossible. Mm-hmm. But I can stare at a blank wall or stare at the sky and be like, oh, I should do this or do this or do that. Yep. So it's about the theming combined with the energy management. But there's another level that I want to talk about sure. that I've discovered recently, and maybe this is something you discovered years ago, but given that we're on the exact same plane of existence and we just didn't know the other one existed until now, there's a third level that I've called emotional management. So let me walk you through what this means. Mm-hmm. So you had mentioned this idea of energy management, where if I know that I have 30 minutes between meetings, for example, and I do the math, if I have five minute tasks tagged in Trello or Asana or Notion or my bloody post-it notes, whatever it is, then I know I can get six tasks done in those 30 minutes. It's just math. Yep. But then there's the flip side of that to me, which is what if I don't want to do anything and I want to be okay with it and not feel ashamed that I wasn't the most efficient I could be with that 30 minutes and getting those six, five minute tasks done. So a recent thing that I've been experimenting with actually has to do with the uh, member of my crew back here, yep. which is my puppy. Mm-hmm. So I found that when I'm done with either a, a Zoom meeting, a team meeting, a client call, or even a podcast, I am just amped up. Like I put all of my energy into these conversations. So I spend 15 minutes of the 30 lying on my couch with my puppy on top of me. And I just sit there because I'm managing the level of anxiety and energy and bringing it back down so I can more sustainably work my way through the day. And I feel like we all start with the time. It's all about the minutes, all about the math. Oh, it's about all tradian rhythms. And it's about how do I, you know, manage the low energy versus the high energy. But now I'm kind of getting into that inception realm of productivity. Like there's a whole nother level with like emotional and stress management and anxiety management that has really been interesting in increasing my output. Well, what's also interesting is that if you have those things tagged, if you if you have a way to direct your attention to your intentions and you trust it, then you can get away with doing that a lot more often because the anxiety of like, well, now what do I do? It's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, what day is it? Oh, it's Monday. Monday is my strategy day. Okay, so I'm only... Sp- like, so you're giving yourself these these waypoints and the questions 
are far easier to answer. That's why, again, like, and I have horizontal theming as well, which is like time of day. And so I know based on being a night owl that I'm going to be way better later in the day doing creative work than earlier in the day. But I know earlier in the day, that stuff's still going on in my head, like you mentioned, right? So I will do all my coaching calls, podcast interviews earlier in the day because I can feed off the energy of others. It's like being a vampire of sorts, I guess, right? And I have a background in performing, comedy, improv, all that stuff. So I know that the I get something from being in front of an audience, right? And after that, once I give, I need to take that break. And I can because the part of my brain that goes, no, no, you got to keep going. It's like, well, no, I don't. Because when I'm done this, I'll, I'll just make a decision where to go next based on the parameters I already have in place, which again, are very sustainable. They're, when someone first, I remember Joey Caffone from the Baron Fig um, company and on the Eureka podcast, he interviewed me and he goes, it sounds like a very rigid system. Like it, it sounds really rigid. I'm like, well, it's rigid. I think it sounds rigid because you're not in it. Like when you're in it, it's, it doesn't feel rigid. And also the way, I, like I would never expect somebody to do, you know, all seven days of the week being themed and horizontal themes across the board. Like there, there are limits and also it evolves over time too, right? You know, I mean, you were talking about um, Monday being the day where you're worn out because of Sunday, all the training you do. Reason Friday is cheat day is because by the end of the week, I'm zonked. Friday used to be my deep work day. And I was journaling and going, like, I'd go, how did I, did I live up to my theme day today? And like nine times out of 10, I'm like, no, why, why, why? So I kept asking, I'm like, oh, it's because it's on a crappy day. Like I need to move deep work off of Friday because Friday, and the reason it wasn't there is because when I was watching my son, when my son wasn't in school, we, we basically had, uh, he was in daycare, but Wednesdays was the day that he, I had to myself. So, or sorry, Wednesday was my day off or something like that. And it was, the, the schedule had evolved to the point where I needed to move it because the way it worked before wasn't going to work now. And that's why I call this thing time crafting. It's like, I'm not a fan of the term time management, to be honest. I, I don't think, again, one of those rules I wrote down was the most important relationships you need to foster are the ones with yourself and the one with time. Because time, I don't think we should be managing time because time won't be managed. It won't be. It has, it, it moves on whether we want it to or not. We don't have control over it. So how can you manage something that you can't control? You can, you can craft it. You can, but like, and again, artists know this. You're never done crafting until you're done. Like you're, you're gone. Like you're finished. You've taken your last breath, right? So to me, I think really what we should be focusing on is developing a better relationship with time. And then those things that live inside it, energy, um, processes that we build, attention, because attention, it, all these things live in time, cadence, how we pace ourselves, expectations. That's a huge one. Like when you said that, you know, you took the walk and they walk in the office and you're like, where are you? Like they had an expectation that you would always be in the office and you never agreed to that. That wasn't part of the deal. So those are all things that live within time like we do. And Oliver Berkman wrote, you've read, have you read Oliver Berkman's book? Oh, uh, yes. I actually yeah. was so, just emailing him this week about getting him on the podcast. Oh, the, the, the one, like it's the book, you know, when you, you read a book and you're like, man, I wish I wrote this before. <laughs> I'm like, there's a lot of stuff in it, but uh -huh. there's one thing that he said, because in the book that, that got me really thinking about this. And again, I was on a walk. Uh, I was listening to the audio book. And he said, what if instead of time happening to us, 
we are happening to time. And he's not wrong because time was here before us and time will be here after us. So what we should be doing, and, and you mentioned your spouse, like you wouldn't manage your spouse. Like you would, that, that would not work well. Can you imagine <laughs> selling a course on spouse management, how well that would go? <laughs> right. So the idea is time, you think of it that way. I think if you think of time as you want to develop a really good relationship with time, then you're going to do the things that we've been talking about. You're going to take the rests that you need. You're going to pause. You're going to pay attention because that's what time wants from you. And, that, and ultimately you want that from time. So instead of trying to manage something, that can't be managed or won't be managed, try to have a better relationship with it. You have kids, same thing. Like you can teach your kids stuff, but eventually they're going to be their own. Like they're, you can't control them. You can lead them. You can shape them as much as possible, but they're still going to, they're, they're their own, they're their own thing. And so is time. Yeah. I'm pretty confident time is doing a very good job of managing us and not the other way around. Exactly. And, and it, you, you know, it's really, in, uh, really interesting. I was reading a book called The Art of the Idea and Mother Nature came up in it. And then Father Time showed up ever so briefly. We don't talk about Father Time as much as we talk about Mother Nature. We don't. We talk about like Mother Nature will have its way. Like we can't control nature, Mother Nature, but we don't talk about Father Time in the same way. We don't say like, you know, we sometimes we say like we're, we're pushing back against the sands of time and all that stuff. Um, it's, it's interesting because <laughs> I think we should be talking about father time as much as mother nature. I know we can see nature and we can feel it and we can touch it where we can't do that with time theoretically. But I mean, those moments, like, I mean, as we get older and we know there's time dilation, there's science around all this, but I can tell you, and I'm sure you feel the same way to some degree is the way I look at time has changed so radically, not just because I study, you know, this, this field, but my daughter is 17 and she's having a Halloween party tonight, you know? And when I look at her, I gauge my own time based on how old she is now, as opposed to how old I am. Cause I do not feel 48 years old. I, I don't think I look 48 years old either, but, but the point is, is that I judge like, wow, it's been 17 years. That's crazy to me. Where did all the time go? And that's another phrase we use, like, where did all the time go? Uh, it's just fascinating to me that we, we spend time measuring things like productivity quantitatively and time quantitatively. How much time do I have? What, but those moments where we, we take a moment, not a minute, but a moment, because a moment could be any length, and we we look at our kids or we look at the way a city has changed or whatever, or, you know, I went to Hoover Dam a few years ago and I saw like the erosion levels. And I'm like, if you just take a moment and think about that stuff, it, <laughs> there's a qualitative element that goes, that, that we don't pay enough attention to. We forsake quality for quantity, which I talked about initially. And I think that those moments you have with your puppy and the moment the moments you had running up and down the stairs and the moments that I'm going to have later tonight in the study while I'm music's blasting. And, and my daughter who gave notes to all of her, all of the neighbors saying, Hey, you know, I'm having a party. Like those things we don't, we don't think about as much. And we, if we spent more time with that stuff, and maybe that's why I love journaling so much. Um, I think that we would have a healthier relationship with time and we would be 
more productive and definitely we would feel more productive too. I think, and feeling matters. You talked about emotion, feelings really matter. We're the only ones that can feel like we can feel stuff. We should, we should try to do that more instead of trying to deal with, with it, try to feel it a bit more. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day, and that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour, but if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off. It's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Yeah, I've been having this conversation with a client of mine recently because uh, he's uh, in the process of wanting to put together a documentary about dogs and how dogs, um, they're, they're not playing fetch, thinking, should I be playing fetch more often? Should I be playing less often? Maybe I need to get a bigger stick next time, right? <laughs> they're just there and they're in the moment, mm-hmm. right? And when it comes to this idea of like children and looking at them as a barometer of time, you want to know how fast time goes, have a kid. Because yep. you're right. It's like everything changes and you feel yourself getting older and getting older and you have the sense of, well, I was at the beginning of my career and I'm progressing. Then you have a kid, everything about you stops. And then all of a sudden your barometer for how quickly things are disappearing is their age. You're like, mm-hmm. you were born like a week ago and now you're in middle school, you're in high school, right? And we say, where does the time go? But the time didn't go anywhere. But I think we're too afraid to ask the question, what have I been doing and how have I been consuming my time since this last moment that I remembered? Because that scares the shit out of us. Of course it does. And, you know, and that one of the things uh, about time that I've really been looking into more to better understand it is how we define it, what our relationship is to it. And what I have found that I've spent my entire career doing as a storyteller working in Hollywood is that, yeah, we tell stories and we create experiences, but ultimately my job is to create individual moments. That moment where this thing happens in a story where you feel something. And I thought to myself, what if the way that we have money or dollars as a currency, what if we have moments as a currency? And if my goal for the rest of my life is to accrue as many meaningful moments as possible, that changes the way that I value my time. 
So I know that something that you've expressed in uh, some of your podcasts before is that it's one thing to have a goal. I'm working towards building this business. I have this amount of revenue, right? And I'm going to have to make sacrifices for my family in the process. But you only get one chance for your kid to be seven years old and want to sit and read that book or four years old and put the, the Lego set together. I can always build another business. I can always read another book. I can always achieve another goal and reach another, you know, revenue benchmark. But that moment is only going to exist at that time. And I can't miss it. Like for the last two weeks, I've been telling my team and anybody on social media, my complete calendar, everything about my life is totally blown up. It's a giant dumpster fire productivity, so to speak, because my son, who's now 12 years old, he decided he was going to turn our carport into a haunted house. (laughs) And in the process of doing so, he's like me. He went all out. And we have the L.A. Daily News doing an interview about it. And then we were on KTLA 5, which is the biggest news station that everybody watches in L.A. It's now my entire life. My entire Friday afternoon, like your cheat day, I'm spending the whole afternoon writing on these big uh, pieces of poster board. Free Halloween house. This way, big arrow and putting it on street signs. That was not a time block on my calendar regarding my objectives, mm-hmm. right? But all of the objectives can be done next week or next month. My 12-year-old son is never going to have a Halloween experience like this again. He might have it when he's 13. He mm-hmm. might have it when he's 14. He's never going to have it again when he's 12, right? He, so I feel like a, a big part of productivity, like we talked about, yeah. prioritization. And I want to accrue meaningful moments. And it's frustrating as hell when I had other things I wanted to do, but there's no question in my mind, this is just what I have to do. You journal, right? Do you journal? Do you keep a journal? I don't journal as much as I would like to. What I'm one of those people, and maybe this is something you can help me with. We're going to turn this into free coaching for a session. <laughs> I am one of those people that has a stack of 12 really nice, high-quality moleskin journals that have 10 pages filled out that I never finish. And I just started journaling again, but I can't seem to stick to it, not because I don't think it's valuable or I don't get use out of it. I just can't stick to it. But I know how valuable of a practice it is. So I, I have... A similar thing. My wife has banned me from buying any more journals or pens or anything like that. Um, Baron Fig, I think she actually made sure that Joey doesn't allow me to order anything from Baron Fig again. But um, I don't write my journals in a notebook uh, as much. I have occasionally, but like I wrote in this little mini notebook I was telling you about um, while I was sitting at the pub because I'm like, I'm waiting here. I'm going to do this because I'm having thoughts that are coming to mind. I actually dictate my journal entries in an app. Mm. So I actually use an app for this because I feel that that this is where tools can remove friction, right? So I don't think, I would not be journaling if I was writing it out. Uh, I would not be journaling probably if I was typing them out because by the end of the day, my brain is going, you're too tired. You wrote all day. You've done all this stuff. What's the point? So I dictate my journal entries into drafts And then I copy and paste them into the journaling app that I use, which is called Reflection, which is available for both Android and Mac. I tried to find out, oh, and it's web-based and all that stuff. And that's how I do it. And because I dictate it, it takes me like three minutes. And I don't have people say, well, how do you journal? What do you do? Like, what's your frame? I'm like, I don't have one. I just, like, I just, because I'm not saying prompts aren't helpful. I think they can be. But the thing is, is I don't want that to be the barrier, right? Like I'm trying to go from friction to flow as quickly as possible. And anytime I find friction, it 
I, I try to figure out where that is. That's probably the most analytical I get about, and it's a process, right? So that falls into things that live within time. Like I can manage that process. So, um, or process, depending on who I'm talking to. Um, but the, but I think that if you were to remove the friction of, and there's other friction with notebooks too, like, oh my God, is this, pre- my notebooks are so precious. Is this worth putting in here? I, I don't want to wreck it. You know, like that kind of stuff. Um, I think that if you were to, to, you know, give yourself the ability to do it the way in similarly to the way I do it. I mean, after all, you said we're like living on the same plane, so you might as well just keep going. Um, it'll help because that's how I've been able to do it. And what's great is you don't realize the benefits of journaling until you look back. Until you go back, and I actually have a task every quarter to go back and read the previous quarter. And then on New Year's Day, because I don't celebrate New Year's Day on New Year's Day, like I start my year in September to kind of mirror the year for the school kids. Martin Short does that. There's a few others that have Gretchen Rubin, like they kind of like they they've always kind of guided their year by schooling. And I go back on New Year's Day, so January 1st, and I will read all of my entries. Like that's the book I read that day. And it is fascinating because you see patterns like I should have written today. Why didn't I write today? Like showing up like 38 times. You're like, all right. So clearly this is something I have to work on. Or you beat yourself up because you don't spend enough time with your kids. You think you're not spending enough time. That's the thing, right? I'm not spending enough time. But those moments that you're talking about, you see them there. Like, so my son and I went to uh, Disneyland this past summer. We went, the whole family went down to Anaheim. And my son saved up all his money to build a lightsaber. And I wanted to build one too because I'm a geek, but I, we just couldn't justify the expense. But I got to go in with them because if they're under 14, I think you get to go in with them or something like that. So I went in and I'm thinking I'm going to get to watch this whole thing. <laughs> and he's picked out his things and it's so fantastic. And I have a photo of it. That's the other thing I do is I'll take a photo and that's what I use as a prompt if I'm stuck, right? Because your phone has the ability to do that. And <laughs> I'm in this, um, the lightsaber building area and the show's about to start. And he goes, um, Dad, I need you to turn around. What? He goes, I need you to turn around because I don't want you to know what color I picked for the kyber crystal, which is like the thing that the blade, what the blade will look like. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, okay. And I turn around and the wall is maybe like a f- six inches from my, like I'm at, the room is so packed that it's like maybe six to eight inches away. So I'm facing this wall while everyone's building their lightsaber and I'm not allowed to turn around. And I wanted, he wanted me in there for the experience, but for literally two thirds, if not three quarters of the experience, it's me. And no one knows why I'm facing the wall. You know, all these people are like, why is this guy facing the wall? Like, shouldn't you be watching this experience? (laughs) And so I face the wall for almost all of it until he reveals that he chose purple, like they unveil it and all that stuff. And in my journal that night, I didn't write, I wrote like lightsaber situation. And there's a photo of it, but I'm like, the most memorable part of that was him making me turn around to not watch it. And I did it because that's what mattered most to him. It did. It, it mattered that I was there, but it also mattered that he wanted to surprise me with the blade. Because there's, I mean, there's one of three, op, four options. And that was the best part of the whole experience. And I wouldn't remember... I I mean, I remember it because it's pretty vivid still. But journaling about it means like when I'm 80, I can go back and go, I remember that. Like I get... uh, There's... Jessamine West um, says this... uh, Says journalists get to live life twice. 
And I think that there's something there because a moment is a place in time, but it doesn't have a quantitative element to it. With a journal, you can at least put some attention to it. Like this happened on August 28th. Oh, like today, you're going to have that whole... I mean, that's going to be something you'll always remember. But the raw feeling in that moment gets captured in the journal. Like, you know, this is... Yeah, it was frustrating that my whole week blew up, but man, smile on my kid's face was worth it or whatever it is. Journaling is the most undervalued and underused quote productivity slash time management tool that you can have because if the calendar offers like kind of the details of your days or sorry, the directory of your days rather, like where you need to be and what, and the to-do list is the details, right? It's like, here's what's happening in this. The journal is the story. The journal is the story of, of your life. Like it is, and that's why you've got like, Alan Richmond's document um, book that sold like crazy. You've got Marcus Aurelius's meditations, which Ryan Holiday talks about all the time. And he is the first to say like, this was not meant to be, it's not like Marcus Aurelius had a publishing deal. And said, I wanted you to publish my journals. And this book, this Assassin's Clone book, cloak book that I'm reading, it's like all these journal entries are, there's just something raw about them. And if you, and the patterns that you can see and you can figure out behaviors. And, you know, sometimes you'll find the, the moments that you thought were mundane end up being some of the most magical ones you have. It's funny you bring up this idea of journaling and patterns because uh, we have this thing in my uh, coaching community that we call the woo-woo factor. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of all the, the woo-woo and the universe stuff and just manifest it in the law of attraction and it'll happen. I think that we need to have intention and effort and action to go into all of it. Sure. But you can't discount this thing called the woo-woo factor. Nope. So the experience I just literally had two days ago has everything to do with what you just said, in which I've been going through, going back to where you said about this idea of you want a, a writer to clean his desk – you know, get him to write mm-hmm. a book, yep. clean my desk for the first time in three months, right before this podcast conversation. Cause I had to prep for it. I'm like, well, I'm really feeling, feel like prepping for the podcast. No offense to you whatsoever, but you know, just wasn't feeling it. It's a Friday. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm just going to listen to one of his podcasts and I want to move around. You know what? Maybe it's time to clean off the desk. So for the first time in two months, I have a clean desk, <laughs> but the, the uh, addendum to that is that I also have been cleaning out and reorganizing my exercise room because I had a whole giant stack of books and I needed to get them on the bookshelf and I didn't have space on the bookshelf. And it was an entire day's project just to put the books on the bookshelf because mm-hmm. welcome to a day in my life. The point being, I found the whole random stack of journals that I never fill out. Mm-hmm. And I found that I had purchased the five minute journal. Yeah. Like, yep. you know, it was a very popular one in like the, the mid uh, teens. Yep. Right. So I had bought it into 2016 or 2017, used about 30 pages of it, like I do for all journals. Mm-hmm. And the last entry was in 2017, almost to the day five years ago. Wow. But then I looked at one of the affirmations and it's the exact same goal that I had for this year. I'm like, son of a bitch. I have had, the ex- I mean, like, I won't say what yeah. the exact thing is, sure. but the quantifiable down to an actual number because it's a business goal. Mm-hmm. The exact same goal that I wrote five years ago is the goal that I have now, which to me was a pattern of I'm clearly not putting enough action towards this. Had I been journaling for the last five years, probably would have had a little bit more uh, attention towards that and maybe would have made the shift sooner. But it was a really eye-opening moment for me. And I don't do a weekly review either. I don't do a weekly review because I journal every day. So I just go back and read the journal. That's productivity heresy. You are a failed productivity expert (laughs) if you are not doing your weekly review consistently. Nope. Doesn't journaling 
it allows me to course correct that much faster. Like by seeing it uh, and going back that the, the most review I do is read the journal entries from the pre from, from the week gone by. That's it. Um, and it's because I know it's really hard to go through all that stuff. And again, by Friday, I'm wiped. Sunday is my planning day. I want to plan forward. Um, and so by me looking at those things from the previous week, I've already kind of got them in my head as to what, and I've already kind of started to lay the groundwork out. So no, I don't. And I know a lot of people that are productivity folks are like, well, wait, wait, well, how do you know? How do you know? I'm like the journal. It's the journal, the journal, because, and I don't, and I'm not a huge fan. Like I love what, um, what the folks at, uh, cause they also have the productivity plan are the same people that did uh, the five minute journal. I love that it's gotten people to journal because it only takes five minutes. Mm-hmm. What I'm not a fan of is necessarily is the prompts because when you have prompts, it can, they could be both a blessing and a curse, right? Like if you don't have anything that will fill that prompt, your brain goes, see, this is useless. Like I'm not going to use the whole book. Like what's the point, right? It's the same thing with a dated planner is that the, if they miss a couple days, it's like, oh great, what a waste. I shouldn't even bother planning. Like that's what you end up going up against. So I think that, that yeah, I mean, the three ingredients, and, I, and this was another rule that I wrote down for like my six standards was keep a calendar, to-do list, and journal and be a steward for all three because they all matter. Um, and I can't tell anyone how to necessarily use a calendar to, the, to their absolute liking. Can't do the same thing for a to-do list or a journal because frankly... It, it, I don't want to be an absolutist. I want to be somebody who's like, I mean, the middle is not sexy, but the center always holds. And it's funny, um, as a Star Wars geek, I remember, I keep thinking that the, the quote that Obi-Wan Kenobi says to Anakin Skywalker, when Anakin turns and uh, he says, if uh, Anakin says like, if you're not my friend, then you're my enemy. And, and, and uh, Obi-Wan goes, only a Sith deals in absolutes. I'm like, nope, not true. Jedi do too. Jedi, like it's only like somebody who's somewhere in the middle, like a like or that follows the quote the will of the force, like Qui Gon Jinn does, um, as opposed to like what the Jedi Council is doing. And Star Wars geeks know what I'm talking about. But the point is, is that I think absolute when you when you have absolutism, then there's no chance for sustainability because any kind of thing that breaks it or even puts a little like flaw in your in your theory immediately. It just starts, the whole house of cards starts to tumble, um, which means you can't, it's not sustainable. So journaling to me needs to be something that is, it's the most personal aspect. It's the one that if you need a prompt, you've got them available, but you don't need it. Uh, If you are stuck, hey, there's an app on your phone that'll help you. Or, you know, there's, uh, you could use Evernote. I don't want to use a new tool. Well, great, use Evernote, like make a notebook, do that, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's not, again, it's not easy, but it, there's a lot of simplicity involved in, in this stuff. When you, when you really take a moment to think about it and, and pause. I'm glad you bring up the idea about prompts, uh, because when I'm on your podcast, one of the uh, accolades or bullet points when you do the intro is that I am the founder, CEO, and president of Overthinkers Anonymous. <laughs> and anybody that gives me prompts, I immediately think to myself, and as somebody who's talked to Gretchen Rupin, I'm, as I have, I'm sure you're familiar with the four tendencies, yep. question around steroids. Oh, well, really? I don't know, is this, is this the, like the five minute journal can take me 60 minutes. <laughs> 
Because I'm like, oh, I don't know, are these the three best things I should be grateful for today? And I don't know, are there alternate affirmations? And are these the best things that I did with my day? Yeah. So and for me, if I were to get a day planner, it's like, well, three days that I didn't fill it out, this goes in the garbage because yep. it's not perfect, right? Years yep. ago with exercise, got the P90X program, get seven, eight, nine days in, you miss one day. Well, I failed. I didn't do P90X, so I have to start over, which is absurd, mm -hmm. but that's my default wiring is yep. that it must all be perfect. So that's why I think for so many of the journals, even the empty ones, it's like you said, well, I've got this nice moleskin and it's this beautiful paper and it's got the little ribbon. I don't wanna waste this. So I need to be writing meaningful and useful things in my journal. It can't just be garbage. But yeah, if I've got an app in digital space and I just wanna to talk to myself like a homeless person while I'm in my backyard, go for it. So that, that could be a good way to do it. What's interesting is you just said something that I think is absolutely the thing that we do and it's so ass backwards is I wanna write something meaningful or purposeful in this journal, not just garbage, but there's no way for you to know what is garbage and what like you can't disseminate that. It's like, it's the idea of like the first, the first shitty draft, right? Like that first draft that's not good. And then you look at it again with a fresh set of eyes and you're like, oh, this is not as good as I thought. Or, oh, wow, this is like, I've come across blog posts that I've written. Uh, I was looking up some night owl stuff because I'm digging more into that because no one really talks about it. People are like, yeah, be an early riser and night owls are like, what? wait, but we do it too. Um, and, and so I'm like, I need to do more research on this. And I started doing some online research, just Googling around who else has written about night owl stuff. And somebody on a WordPress site wrote about night owl. I'm like, oh, this is a pretty comprehensive article. And like, here's how you can survive being a night owl. And I get about three paragraphs in, and then all of a sudden they say, um, Mike Vardy, da, da, da. and it's like, oh crap, they're talking about the things that I, like, they learned from me. And I'm like, that's hilarious. Going back again to the everything new, you have to make something new all the time. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's funny. You brought up Gretchen Rubin, who's been, a, I've, I've chatted with Gretchen on a number of occasions. Um, she has the Four Tendencies course, which I, I think I'm a case study for. So you're a questioner. But are you a questioner that also tries to put up holder stuff in place? Because I mean, the idea of I'm I'm a I'm an obliger who uses tactics to make myself an upholder. So, for example, mm. that's why theming works. That's why because otherwise I will just do what someone else wants. Like I will do what. Um, whereas it sounds like are you a pure questioner? Or are you a questioner that oh, uses? No. I'm no. I'm the most volatile combination of all. I am equal parts questioner and rebel. Mm. So I can question something to the nth degree and have it all laid out perfectly in my calendar. And then the result is you're not going to tell me what to do. Screw this. I'm going to do nothing <laughs> this week. So welcome to the inside of my head. <laughs> Again, journaling will help. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I'm, it, I'm, I'm yeah. sensing a theme from today's yeah, conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so, uh, again, I, I think we get so caught up in the tools because the tools are so, again, like money, like, like nature, you can see it, you can touch it. Um, and there's an achievement that happens when you learn something, right? Like I mastered this, like Notion's a great example of that. I, I mean, I know a bit about Notion, but I don't know a lot about it. And the old Mike would have dove in like full on, Right. I mean, I know Me a song. I, yeah, I would have gone. And then, but here's the problem with it is that it could be anything. It's like Evernote was whenever, like Evernote could be anything. 
Like people are using Evernote for productivity, like a to-do list and project management, which I think is a terrible idea to this day, but they were using it for that. Um, Notion can be almost anything. And there is a limit to, I think there's a law of diminishing returns when you're focused on the tool as opposed to, you know, the fundamentals, like the the pillars. It'd be the equivalent of me going to golf with my brother, who's a really great golfer, and he has crappy clubs and I buy the best clubs I money could buy. First off, I hate golf. So that's already a strike against me. And then secondly, I don't know how to golf very well. So he would kick my ass with the cheapest clubs because he, he knows how to do it. He gets the... So no matter what course he plays on, what clubs he uses, he knows what to do. Um, I would not. And I think people often want that, well, the tool will help me. The tool will do it. And the tool won't. Garbage in, garbage out. I mean, that's, that's the way it goes. So if you, if you can find a way to, you know, like the fundamentals, capture everything. Um, you know, have a process that easily transfers from one tool to another, uh, journaling to figure out, like to keep that evolution going in the right direction that you want it to. Those are really the things that you can start with. And then, and I know we talk about optimizing, then optimize, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like they, tr- it's almost like people try to optimize before they have things too fully, like the four things are working properly, right? You can't optimize things without having the fundamentals in place first. And I think that's where, it's, it's, yeah, it's not sexy. It's not, not necessarily the, the fun work, but it's the, it's the essential work. It's the work that needs to be done so that you can ultimately, you know, hit those levels that you want to hit. Yeah, exactly. And I think focusing so much on the tools and the process, again, is such a hindrance to focusing more on the result. So for me, if somebody's like, well, I use this calendar program and I do this to-do list, I'm like, I don't care. At mm-hmm. the end of the week, do you feel fulfilled by how you used your time? Can you sleep well at night knowing that you put your time, your energy, and your attention in the right places? If so, I don't give a crap what tools mm-hmm. you use or even what your system is. But if you're not fulfilled with that time, that's where I think you and I are able to help people fill those holes. But I, over and over in all the courses that I teach, whether it's about Trello or Evernote or all the apps, like I, I like to get into the weeds with this stuff because it's fun. Sure. But I say it every single lesson, ad nauseum. If this doesn't work for you, don't do it. Yep. This is my way. This is not the way or the right way. This is just what works for me. Take what you need. Don't use what doesn't work for you as long as you go to sleep at night feeling good about how you used your time. I mean, what more can you ask from being a human being? And, and, and I think that the people that, that's the, that's the thing people need the most help with. That's the, um, we're solving the right problem as opposed to solving a problem that really is getting too much fuel and it's not really a problem. The only reason it's becoming a problem is it's get the fuel it's getting. Um, talk about, um, I talk about, my wife watches a lot of the fire firefighting shows. I think she watches any show that has like a first responder in it. Um, which is <laughs> so a she must love the Chicago Fire, Chicago Mad, that yes, whole series. She does. Oh, yes. She's watching, what's the one that, Station 19, uh, the Grey's Anatomy mm-hmm. spinoff, whatever. And, Whenever I talk to somebody about, and again, real world storytelling kind of examples is people are like, they'll say things like, I'm putting out fires all day long. And I hate that phrase so much because I think it's disrespectful to anybody who actually fights fires for a living. Because what they're, what they're describing is 
it's like a scatter shot. It's almost like plugging a hole in a dam, right? But they say fighting fire. I'd rather have to say I'm trying to plug all these holes in the dam. That makes more sense. But fi- but firefighters legitimately let certain things burn so that they can do certain things. So they will let a fire go in certain direct, like they'll, they'll redirect, whether it's a forest fire, a building fire, whatever. There's a strategy behind fighting fires. And when they say I fight fires all day long, I'm like that, just the, the tone they use, just the, fr- it implies no strategy whatsoever. It's just like, I'm just gonna, you know, it, it, it just drives me nuts. And I think that if more people, again, it's, it, it just boils down to, having that better relationship with time, which really boils down to the pause, taking a beat. I I can't tell you how many times, Zach, when I do, I do it. I have a talk where I basically take 60 seconds and say, let's not do anything for 60 seconds. Close your laptop, close this, like, and just don't close your eyes. Don't close your eyes. Keep your eyes open. We're not going to do anything for 60 seconds. And I'm on stage and it works really great live because there's an uncomfortableness, right? Like there's this... And I will do things like sit down, like I'll, I'll, I'll do smacked out. And at the end of it, I'll say, okay, time's up. And then I'll say, how did that feel? And the audience will say, some people say, I felt great. Oh my God. It felt like I was wasting so much time. Like it felt, I felt anxious. I felt this. And I said, who, who felt like the time went by really quickly? And they raised, a bunch of people raised their hands. Not as many as people said, like, who felt that went, like, took forever. And a lot of people raised their hands. I'm like, can uh, people who, can you raise your hand to people who thought it went quickly? I'm like, do you meditate? And almost all of them kept their hands up. And I said, good. I go, I figured that. Um, and those that felt it went by, you know, really, really slowly, do you meditate? And most of them don't. And I say, well, first off, I got a confession to make. That wasn't a full minute. It was 48 seconds. Like, I actually never give a full minute. And I say, it felt really long. If you just took a minute and actually like pause to think, I'm not saying not do anything, do actually like just take a beat. Imagine how much better you'd be in decision-making, focus, all that stuff, just to take a minute. And by the way, you didn't even take a full minute. You can take 30 seconds if you want. Like, I don't care. But it, the power of that pause is so important. And I don't know why we don't feel like we can't do it. Um, external demands, all that stuff. I, I, that's probably why. But it, it's important. You have to do it. It's the only. I think it's the the key to having that better relationship is to is to notice, is to pay attention, is to pause, is to slow down. I don't like the term slow productivity either that's making its way around either because I think that's going to be corrupted and it's going to make it sound you might as well call it lazy productivity for people that are, that are so obsessed with being productive. Um, if anything, it should be deliberate. Like, and, and again, slow productivity, those two words are a paradox for a lot of people, but slowing down and or pausing is probably a better way to put it. That's, and those, those, those pauses happen. And so that's where you can figure out what to fix what doesn't need to be fixed, what to chronicle, what not to chron- like all those things happen in those little moments, those, those moments that we fail. We, we, we've, we fail to take more often than not. Couldn't agree more. Uh, on that note, 
Uh, I could probably go on for at least another, I don't know, three, four hours because I feel like we barely scratched the surface. Um, As usually happens with my best guests and best conversations, I've hit about 8% of my prep sheet. Um, But this has been just immensely valuable just to me personally, I'm sure to my guests as well. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to the conversation where you get to be in charge and I get to be the the guest. And something tells me that this might end up being a a multi-part series because I think you and I have a lot in common and um, only wish that we had uh, crossed paths uh, much, much sooner, but I have a feeling that we can rectify that. Absolutely. Uh, But given everything that we've talked about, I know that for a fact, the one area where you can very easily and effectively help people is with this idea of time crafting. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about a lot of the components of it, but for anybody listening that actually wants the nuts and bolts, they want to break it down, they want to read about it. I've gone through your uh, time crafting guide or kit, you can mention the the name of it, but I went through it and like you reading all Oliver Berkman, it was me reading it like, damn it, why didn't I write this? So it's, and that that's a, a big endorsement for me because I really, really believe, as we've talked about, that uh, productivity is a much bigger thing than just, you know, the time blocking and the Pomodoros and the to-do lists. And I feel like this time crafting starter kit that you have um, is really a much better way to look at time more sustainably. Yeah. So you, if people want to get it, it's easy. Productivityist.com slash kit. Um, yeah, you have to give me your email, but that's just like, I'm a business person as well, but you get, it's a 26 page PDF. Um, and it was just one of those things where I, I, you know, you get to a point where it's like, I want to make sure that people get this and I want to put it in a fact, a form factor that, you know, I want more people to do it. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, you know what? Yeah, I've got books that I'm working on and so on and so forth, but this is the way I think to just get right to it. And it's a starter kit. So, I mean, it gets you started. And then there's lots of other ways to kind of, you can just follow me on Twitter too. I mean, once you get it and you go, Mike, I have questions because I'm pretty active on Twitter, at Mike Vardy on Twitter. Yeah. Who um, knows where Twitter is going to be by the time anybody actually listens to oh this. Oh my but yes. goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on LinkedIn too. So don't forget that. That's <laughs> probably, that. I, I, to be honest, I should be spending more time on LinkedIn because of all the LinkedIn learning classes I have there. But yeah, Isn't it funny? I say the same thing. I'm never on LinkedIn and I have like five classes on it. I'm never there. It's like, you know what it's like? LinkedIn to me is almost like, it's like, you know, the movie Office Christmas Party? Party, where like the Christmas party is happening in the actual office building. That to me is what LinkedIn's like. It's like, yeah. I feel weird in this office building, like having a party, like where yeah. Twitter didn't feel that way. Facebook certainly, well, whatever. I mean, none of these platforms I think are, um, well, especially now Twitter is going to be interesting. Like, I, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how it's going to hold, uh, what, what, what Elon's going to do with it. Who knows? I mean, I know that as of this recording, the four executives got let go almost immediately. Mm -hmm. So there's there's changes afoot. But yeah, I mean, the biggest thing that like I I will be spending more time probably doing some YouTube stuff, some video um, because that that people want to see me more. Uh, And then, of course, the podcast, uh, a productive conversation, which I can't wait to have that conversation because it's going to be a mighty productive one, I think. Yeah. Uh, well, the way that I can describe LinkedIn in the the simplest possible terms, I feel like I'm too underdressed to be posting on LinkedIn. <laughs> it's, just the, it's the weirdest feeling. I don't know how to describe it, but I go there. I'm underdressed. I don't. Yeah. I shouldn't be posting here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's like just post what you post on Facebook on LinkedIn. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I should be talking. It's it's absolutely. Yeah, I totally get that. And and the thing is, LinkedIn doesn't want you to be that way. They want you to be like, hey, be be. And I'm like, nah, not here. I'll go do that over here on Facebook or on, on Instagram. 
That's where that's yeah. where that stuff happens. Exactly. Thanks, thanks so, but no thanks, but no thanks, boss. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, share that link for everybody one more time. Productivityist.com slash kit. Productivityist.com slash kit. And we haven't even gotten to my first question of today's interview, which is describing the term productivityist, which we'll have to get into in another show because we had a much more invigorating conversation than anything I had planned, which is why I don't plan anything. So <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to say, hard to spell, and we are. You'll you'll hear you'll hear a lot more from Mike Vardy, the productivityist, at some point in time. But right now, it's still productivityist.com. Uh, well, so, the simplest yeah. version is we're going to send people to the show notes anyway, and all yes. the information is going to be right there at the very top. So all good, uh, Mike. This has been an absolute pleasure. I know this is going to be fun. I didn't know it was going to be this fun. So I'm very sincere in saying that uh, I would like to continue this conversation and uh, get to know each other better for sure. But uh, absolutely, yeah. Very Same. much this appreciate your. Yeah, very much appreciate you taking uh, your very valuable time, even though you're not managing it and it's managing you and managing me and managing everybody else. But to appreciate you taking your time uh, to help out me and my audience today. So thank you so much. Thanks, Zach. It was an absolute pleasure and I had a blast. Can't wait to do it again. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.